Hey there, it's Katie Tupin here, and you are listening to or watching Tupin Talks, the podcast in which I talk about whatever I want to talk about to whoever I want to talk about it to. And this week, I have very special guest, Leah Blevins. Leah is a singer-songwriter. She currently lives in Nashville, but she's a Kentucky native. And she has a new album out called First Time Feeling. And First Time Feeling is unbelievable. The songwriting and her singing, her voice is off the charts. And the conversation that we had that I'm going to share with you is, um, is really special. I feel like I met somebody that... I've known my whole life, you know, when you meet people like that, when you're just sort of, you share a lot of the same philosophies on life and um, a lot of life experiences seem to have lined up, which is pretty cool. And she's just about as cute as a button. But before I get to our conversation, I have a lot of things I want to talk about. So, um, man, this week was rough uh, here in Kentucky. We had the tornadoes come through. I'm sure you've heard about the, the destruction of the tornadoes. The tornadoes, I live in Lexington, Kentucky, and so the tornadoes hit about four hours from where I live, so not very close. Um, but it was, um, you know, quite scary knowing that they were headed this direction, but they did some serious, serious damage, and a lot of people died. Uh, there were 74 people confirmed dead. Today is Tuesday when I'm recording this, but um, 74 people confirmed dead, 109 remain missing. Uh, An Amazon warehouse got hit where six people were killed. It's uh, no joke. If you've seen the videos online, if you've seen the photos, the amount of debris and destruction is um, kind of difficult to comprehend. This tornado traveled, I think it was 220 miles, and debris was found 30,000 feet in the air, which is apparently the highest uh, ever on record so it has it was it's no joke what's happened here and western Kentucky in particular it's quite rural there's a lot of small towns and a lot of these small towns are just gone they're just not there anymore and people's homes are gone and people's jobs are gone and it's um it's it's really hard to even wrap your head around uh what what has gone on here and um so i reached out to somebody that i know that works for the governor and um they told me the best place to send people who are giving financial donations is a uh, uh, team wky relief fund.ky.gov and that is the state's official relief fund and there's lots of others, uh, you know, the Red Cross, and there's lots of drop-off sites for supplies. People don't have anything, you know, as far as clothes or, you know, there's, you know, cleaning supplies and disinfectants needed. There's all kinds of stuff needed. So there's lots of drop-off sites. Um, but I also was told to warn people that there are lots of scam relief funds out there, which maybe you knew about, but I, maybe I'm just naive, but I just didn't know that was a thing. I can't imagine how anyone would possibly justify creating a scam relief fund for something like this but apparently that's the thing that happens so be careful on what you click on and what you donate to if people are asking you for money um, you need to research that and supplies Uh, so just just food for thought but uh, there's a lot still needed there's going to be a lot needed for a long time if you've seen the photos I mean literal towns are gone but I'm very grateful to be safe I'm very grateful that uh, nobody that I personally know um, was uh, was affected by the tornadoes but there are lots of people going through it right now so my thoughts and prayers are with with them um okay so this week I what did I do I met with a 
I met with. I took my niece. I took my niece for her Christmas present the day after the tornadoes, actually. So I was all in my feels and just so grateful to get to spend some time with my niece. I have two nieces. I have one who is uh, was in the astronaut music video that I that I made. Her name is Ren. And then I have a younger niece who's five. Her name is Lilu. And if you are a Fifth Element fan, if you're that big of a nerd, yes, she's named after Lilu from the Fifth Element. Um, so me and Lilu went to Malibu Jacks, which is like this arcade kind of place with go-karts and all kinds of stuff because I wanted to give my nieces experiences for Christmas and not just stuff. So we went through, we, I, I did all this, you know, like got a hundred dollars on this little card and we're just swiping away on these stupid little games and then you get tickets on your cards. And, um, and so we're, we're at the end. She's kind of done. She says, let's go home now. I said, do you want to cash in your tickets? She said, yeah. So we walk over to the area in which you're, you cash in the tickets and the first bin she sees are like these foam they're not stuffed animals but they're like the size of stuffed animals but they're made out of foam and there's like a strawberry and then there's um a pineapple and she sees the pineapple she says i want that well that bin was 4500 tickets and so we go up to swipe our card to see how many tickets we have. We've been there for an hour, mind you, but we weren't there for just, or maybe a couple hours. And so we've been, we've been racking up some tickets and I think, well, maybe we'll get this pineapple. We only had 393 tickets on our little card. And so I had to explain to a five-year-old that like she couldn't have the pineapple. And so she asked me to ask. So I asked, I said, can I just buy this pineapple? And they said, no. So if anybody knows where I can buy a pineapple. See, I did all this to try to not get my niece's stuff for Christmas, but here I am getting my niece's stuff for Christmas. And I've got to find this, this pineapple because she's so cute. This little girl is so cute. Lilu has the sweetest demeanor. And, um, and she, she said, I said, well, like we can't get that. And so I was showing her all the things that we could get and it was all like pretty puny, I'm not gonna lie, but she didn't want any of it. And I said, well, we could save our tickets. And she said, yes, she was gonna save up her tickets and we were gonna go back every day and eventually we would get the pineapple. So I have to find this pineapple for this child. So if you know where I can buy a foam pineapple, you just let me know. But um, that was, that was my big, my big week. Uh, so there's a few, I have a few things to, to remind you of my Blink-182 pin project for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. It is only going to be up. The GoFundMe is only going to be up through the end of the year. Uh, and then I'm going to be taking it down right now. I have about five songs started. Hopefully I'll be able to finish those five songs. And, um, there's definitely not enough money to promote the five songs in the GoFundMe. So, um, I'm hoping that some people come through last minute or else, um, I don't know. I don't know what I'll do there, but I'll figure it out because I really am so excited about these Blink-182 songs. Uh, they are, they're good. I'm not going to lie. They're good. They're good songs and they're well-written and um, I fixed them. <laughs> my dad, my dad kept saying, you need to tell Blink-182 you fixed their songs because uh, he always reminds me that when I was in high school, I would, or middle school I'd be listening to Blink-182 and he couldn't stand it like he could not stand that I listened to this band and um so when I told him I was doing this project he heard the songs and he like he couldn't believe it he goes you fixed the songs you fixed them <laughs> anyways um all right so 
that's all I got for you guys uh, today. I'll, I'll go ahead and get into my conversation with Leah Blevins, but please don't forget to comment and to share this live stream if you're watching the live premiere because you're automatically entered into drawings to win stuff and it's good stuff like it's not just like crap like this is cool stuff there's there's um cbd products there's cds for me that are signed there's um, some stuff from topo chico um it's cool stuff but thank you for tuning in and i'll cut over to leah now I am so excited because I am here with very special guest, Leah Blevins, and she has her debut album out, First Time Feeling, and I am absolutely obsessed with it. Hi, Leah. How are you doing? Hi. I'm so happy to be a part of this. I'm so excited that you decided to jump on here kind of last minute. Um, I wanted you to be on here this week because we'll just dive right into it because you're a Kentucky native, correct? Yes. Born and raised. Where are you from? I'm from um, like northeast area, far east Kentucky, a place called Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook. Okay. I don't, I don't know all the little towns and nooks and crannies. All right. Were you, is your, that's not near the, where the tornadoes hit, is it? No. Um, actually, we're like closer to West Virginia. Um, it, oh, okay. okay. All. There's, it's just more northeast Kentucky and, um, our little claim to fame for our, our small town is uh, the old singer, um, the legend Keith Whitley. He was born and raised there as well. Okay. So, Is that near London? My mom's yes. from London. Yeah, actually, I have family in Paris, so that's kind of similar area. That's probably two hours uh, west of us. Okay. I think people don't realize how big of a state Kentucky actually is. I had a lot of people hitting me up when the tornadoes hit. They said, are you okay? I was like, it's it happened four hours away, you know, from, from Lexington where I am, but, um, but still it's, it's our neighbors. And I know you are doing a lot, um, for the relief efforts. You know, I'm trying my best with all the things that we we have in our everyday life. It's like, I just, I feel as though I've been in a similar situation. We all were, uh, in 2020 with the, the tornadoes here in Nashville and, just before I moved um, in 2012, there was a massive, um, it was four tornadoes that met and wiped out a county close to us. So it's, I feel like I've, I've experienced tornadoes and this, the magnitude of what it can do from a young age. So it's like, whatever you would need in your everyday life, I just can't imagine not having that. And me sitting here with my pinky up with a drink of water and somebody else is struggling just to, to do whatever they need to do. So just trying to do I my know. part. Yeah. And there's, um, there's, I, I, I kept thinking about that too. I just kept thinking, I can't imagine the people that woke up that had nothing, you know, their whole house is gone. Everything is gone and what that would feel like. And, um, and I know, uh, so I re I reached out to some, some, somebody I know at the, in the governor's, governor's office. And I said, what do we do? You know, like, what do, what mm -hmm. do you need? And they said, first, let people know, because I didn't know this, that there are tons of fake relief funds that pop up around disasters. Did you know this? Yeah. That's terrible. No, so, it's sad to think that that's the case. I know. Like, I'm just naive enough to not know that existed. So to warn people that there's tons of that. And um, there's the official ones on um, on the, uh, Kentucky's uh, website. So 
but there's also all kinds of legitimate donation areas and you're involved in some of those down in Tennessee, correct? Um, I'm, I'm going through a church out of Murray, Kentucky, who it's called Purpose Church. This has only been, I want to say, four days into uh, actively trying to connect with them and figure out what we need to, to get to them in order to drop in Mayfield. But also there were so many other counties um, on the western side as far as Bowling Green and bridging the gap between those areas that need um, so much attention as well. Murfreesboro here in Tennessee got a pretty hard hit. Uh, so it's really just scrambling to try and get, you know, necessities in terms of like tarps, flashlights, water um, to certain areas and then other places, clothing, food. There's children who don't get to celebrate Christmas this year. Um, it's just trying to kind of put yourself in their position and think about what that would look like essentially. But yeah. 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 Uh, so you grew up in Kentucky and, um, and that comes through, I think in your, in your songwriting and in your, uh, and on your songs, um, what was it like growing up in Sandy Hook? Sandy Hook, is that the right name of the town? That is it. Yeah. Sandy Hook. We go by counties back home too. So Elliott County may be, uh, something folks kind of recognize more so, but growing up there, you, you, you either navigated um, your path with sports or music, I would like to say, or um, the sad truth, drugs or the church. So you had a, a very small, limited um, window of options. But uh, for me, it was um, a mixture, I would say, of all uh, things. But growing up there, everybody knows everybody, one horse town. Um, and there was a heavy influence of gospel music and just music in general. But um, yeah, sports and music, that was the gist. Did you, uh, so you sang in the church? Definitely grew up singing in the church. My papa was the Bible study teacher and um, loved the idea that he led the choir. And my mom played piano in a little town, in our little town. And uh, so it was very much a part of my upbringing. Yeah. That's how you learned. Did you learn from your mom music? Yeah, mommy and uh, papa. My papa's two siblings, and he had a band called the Harbor Masters when they were super young. Um, and uh, so he he wanted to carry that tradition on with his granddaughters. So he would he would have us girls sit down, and he'd point, or he'd have us listen. And uh, mom always had us girls up to sing whatever you know, classic hymnals, Amazing Grace, um, say a prayer, things of that nature. So it was very much. I was always, yeah. I was always jealous of people that have, have that story because you have the exposure of like being in front of people from a young age, right? Yeah. I mean, I was so bashful. I feel like, um, I always remember being bashful at that time, like say nine, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. So for me, I feel like, um, I always think back and reflect on the idea of what that looked like. And I was, one of those kids who had just wanted to mimic the sound so much that I would hum along because I was too scared for people to actually hear my voice. And I feel like sometimes that may translate over into to my adult life. But um, yeah, yeah I, I feel fortunate to, to be able to have had somewhat of a stage and what that looked like growing up. Yeah. And you were put, so you're pushed outside of your comfort zone from a young age to, to kind of do that, I imagine. I know when my, when I was growing up and singing, um, 
I would just sing along in the car. That was, and my dad played blues guitar. And so that's how I learned music, but his rule in the car, cause I was, I could be shy, um, too, but is that I had to sing loudly. I wasn't allowed to, to hum, uh, because I would do the same thing and kind of cower and just want to sing along, but not actually be heard or be seen, but he wouldn't allow that. But, um, but I was really shy too. I, I took a theater class in high school and was so scared uh, in the middle of trying to do a monologue that I just left the class and I never went back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, we've come a long way, Leah. We've come a long way. Yep. So what was, that, what was that journey like? Because, you know, you're singing in the church and, and now you have, I don't have any idea how old you are, but you have started putting out music in 2015. And, um, so, and I, I know now you live in Nashville. So what was that transition like for you? Yeah. You know, um, I have just a little backstory. I have a twin sister and a sister who is older than me, who is seven years older than us girls. Um, so we always, I was the high harmony singer my whole life. Um, so I moved to Nashville when I was 21. I'm, I'll be 32 in February. I moved here oh. in 2012 with, um, four other gentlemen. I was the fifth member of the band and uh, we just, you know, we wanted, we were traveling here quite a bit um, from Kentucky. So we just thought it, deemed it best to, to make the move. So we did, I'm glad we did. And within um, a year of living here, I decided, you know, I think I want to be a songwriter full on, make money doing it as a, as a career and then it all kind of just transpired on its own. I was like, you know what? I'm not the worst singer in the world and I, I can, um, I can get by in conversation. So we'll just see what happens and started doing writers rounds. And I, I found this little book the other day. Um, the first six, seven months that I lived here, I was a bartender at a country club, um, with a bunch of other folks, um, that I'm still friends with today. But, uh, all that to say, I had this little book where I called around to, every studio I could find on Music Row and ask if they needed a demo singer. And it was so neat to just see that and the, 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 the naive nature that I it? had just moving. No, no one ever called me back. It was just one of those <laughs> things where I'm like, well, what do I do? So I'm going to get the phone book yeah. out and find somebody's number and call. But um, yeah, so I got here and it was really, uh, I would say to end of Midpoint 2014, I, I started on that 2015 record. There's a little kitty cat. That's, um, that's Earl Girl. Earl Girl. I love that name. So I have a dog here. A little side story. My dog's name is Susie, but when I got her, they called her Girl, and her dad's name was Merle because she looked just like her dad. So they called her Merle. Girl. I don't know if that makes they sense. Called her I think that's cute. I think it's cute. Well, Earl is like, Earl is my boyfriend's cat. And, um, it was after like Earl Grey tea, but everybody always mm. thinks she's a boy because her name is Earl. So we call her early girl. Yep. <laughs> Cute. Love that. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so you were, go on, continue. You were talking about your, I don't even know where's that. I digress. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're talking so about giving demos out on, yeah. Yeah. Demos out. Okay. Trying to be a demo singer. Yes. Well, there was that. Um, and then met up with a few folks along the way that, uh, Threw Me a Bone and um, recorded that first EP in 2015 with no idea or anything really in mind. I just knew that I wanted to to, to go down this path. And um, with that being said, I feel like I'm still kind of 
gaining more confidence with my voice as a lead vocalist. And, um, you know, this, this latest record that I've done feels like it's the most um, level up or truest form of what that looks like for me thus far, you know? Yeah, I do. I understand that entirely. I mean, it's very much like a, I don't know, being an artist and, and putting out music for other people. It's like, you're kind of showing, you're laying down your cards for people and your in your growth, you know, and it can be a really, it's very vulnerable thing to do. Um, because you can see that growth, you know, like I look back at even the first songs I did with Houndmouth or my first solo songs, and there's been a great change in those times. And sometimes you can look back and like, well, maybe I shouldn't have put that out. But I will say (laughs) that your first songs, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to like hear these early songs and not understand. And I'll understand why I had never heard your name before this year. Mm-hmm. And then I listened to those songs and I was like, I don't know why I've never heard her name before this year, because these songs are really, really good. Um, so were you writing solo even back then? That is so sweet. Thank you so much. I, I feel like we all need to hear those things, especially from our peers from time to time. It's just like a little pat on the butt type deal um, or wherever you need a pat. But uh, I'll pat yes, you I'll I pat feel you. <laughs> good luck finding it. Um, anyway, I feel like I've been writing since I was so young. I have journals that I don't even have pictures as a kid, really, because we move so much. But I do have journals from when I was like 11 years old where I just would write, you know, try to sound a certain way. But writing things down for me is just like not so much. I don't want to say therapy because that there's a lot of ways you can look at that. But for me, it's just like if I can get it on paper, then there's a way or a time that I can reflect and come back to it. And I feel like I probably heard Bob Dylan or somebody say that and was like, oh, that's great. I'm going to attach that to my everyday life. But um, it really is for me. It's like coming from a, a grandpa who is a Bible study teacher, who is also an accountant and studying his ways and then seeing it's really just like formalities of the folks that we admire or observe along the way. And, um, to add to that, I did the artist way over, um, I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. of that. I'm sure you have, but, the, uh, the book. I didn't finish it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's okay. But like the first, I know the first three chapters, um, I think it was the second or something like that. It was just getting every single thing out of you as soon as you wake up. And that's been something that's kind of, I've been a stickler, uh, with mm-hmm. that, you know? That, yeah. I don't know if I just answered your question, but... <laughs> well, that's okay. No, I uh, there's a book that I read. It was called Coaching the Artist Within, and I read it when I was probably 18. And it it's kind of like that. And I also like think the first half of it is a lot better than the last half of it. So even when I recommend it, I'm like, you'll trickle out of this book. But it's the same principles of of waking up and being an artist and, and letting loose of those feelings and being disciplined about it. I think that's the Mm. difference. A lot of people think that, you know, I could tell you're a disciplined artist based on your music. Everything you've put out is like extremely high quality and, um, well-written and thoughtful. You have these turn of phrases that are just so genius. Um, you know, but, but I can tell you're disciplined about your art and, you don't just stumble into a great album, a great debut album, like first time feeling there was a long journey before this. And I knew that, and that's what I was so excited to get to the bottom of. 
So you were, so you were, you put out this EP and you just kind of put it out on your own or what happened next? Yeah, I did. Um, well, again, to, to reiterate what I said earlier, the, the fact that I've had so many people take a chance on me and just elevate me in, in, in ways that I could not, especially like financially. Um, I did my first EP with Ken Coomer. He was from a band called um, Uncle Tupelo. Uh, and then a couple guys out of town out of, in Nashville were gracious enough to um, record Walk Home With Me. And then I had met Paul Cawthon years ago and he had kind of just hinted at the idea that he would want to make a record and we finally committed to doing that in October of 2019. So it's just been, everything's kind of happened organically that we all like to throw that term out there, but um, it really was the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's very natural, it sounds like for you. And, but also you know, over a long period of time, you know, I think it what was seven, eight years before, since you put out your first um, for a song to wait to put out a full length album was that intentional or did that just is that just organic <laughs> you know i i think life happens and and um there was a two-year period of time where i didn't play a show i i worked as a a cook at turnip truck in town it's like an organic grocery uh, store here in town i didn't do anything so i think it's like there was really no method to the madness of releasing music for me i feel like um i've just kind of I've never really thought of myself as like seeking the idea of fame or notoriety. I think for me, it's like, I'm going to make music till I die. Um, harsh terms, but sad reality. The fact for me is like, whatever, whatever I put out there, I just want it to be, I want it to be emotionally driven. I want it to be real. Something, someone can be sitting in their closet on their, their, in the most pain that they've ever felt and be like, wait a second, there in, in turn of this is um, a, a, a flipping of the coin of something that maybe I didn't think could actually happen for me. And I feel like that's just who I am as a person. But um, I, I, I think more now than ever, it's much more of a strategic process, which I'm still coming to terms with. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that stuff is important, I guess, if you're doing it for a living or whatever. But mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's it's working out for you. So I would say just keep doing whatever you, whatever it is you're doing. Keep um, making candles. <laughs> just keep making your candles, girl. Um, so uh, you 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 touched on that. You know, it's the darker feelings that you really like to like to hone in on is. Do you ever write happy songs? I mean, I thought First Time Feeling was kind of a happy-ish song. I mean, it's nostalgic. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have anything to do with the production so much as far as it being uppity. I feel like you can probably attest to this, too. It's like there's some you can pull something. There's more to pulling from the soul when it's dark and deep and you're in pain I was saying this the other day. It's like when I'm happy, I want to feel it. I don't want to write it on paper. I just want to be in it. So maybe that's what that <laughs> looks like. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Dude, I totally understand what you mean. Like it's a, it's it, when me and my boyfriend are in a fight or like that's when I want to sit down and, and write it down. Um, <laughs> you're totally right. Like I don't want to write it down when I'm happy. I know people that love, like only write happy songs. Like I don't, I don't get that at all. Good for I, them. 
I mean, good Send for them. Away. Thank, <laughs> thank God that not everybody is as dark and depressing as we are. <laughs> for real. But I will say, so I'm I'm four and a half years sober, and I my songs are like gradually getting like happier and i don't know how i feel about that but i can't fight it it is happening no. they're just not they're not as i don't have i'm not as sad anymore <laughs> well your skin is glowing even, even through this screen so there's there's that uh with the sobriety end of things i i just admire anyone in this field who can you know set whatever it may look like down and then again tap into whatever it is that's holding you back or you're masking. And it's like, that's the sad reality that we all have to come to terms with, whether it's 20s, 30s, 40s. And most people, they're in their 60s before they, they're ready to kind of have that conversation with themselves. And um, for, to touch base on the question you had earlier, and maybe to wrap all this in a bow, it's like, I had to do extensive work on myself in order to even understand what I wanted out of life. And I think the divine question that we as humans forget to ask a lot of the time is what do I want? And is that somewhat what it looks like for somebody else? Do I want to be a part of the cool club? Do I want to do this, do that? It looks different for everybody. So for me, it was like, what is keeping me in this sad state of mind and what can I do about it? You know? And, um, that was like, for me, the, t the turning point in my life at the ripe old age of, I'd say 28. <laughs> When I what, felt like I was kind of coming out of it. Is what there something that? specific that happened at 28 that, or it was just kind of like, that was just the kind of moment where it started to feel like it was coming together, where you understood yourself in a different way? I think, yeah, it was definitely a mixture of things. It was just recognizing that I'm worthy. And um, I personally went to rehab a 30 day program and had to do that a couple of times in order for it to sink in. And um, I'm, I can't sit here today and, and say that I'm completely sober, but I've definitely put in a lot of hard work as far as therapy and trauma therapy and what that looks like. And, um, another thing to just acknowledge with all of that, it's like, we now are living in a time where we have these, which you, you know, as, as much as anybody, um, we all have these phones so handy where we are consistently comparing the success or lack thereof of others, whatever that looks like. And I think for me, it's like, I'm just like the next person. I want to be liked. I want to be seen in a, in a good way, this, that, and the other. And it's, um, I, I think at the end of the day, it was just me learning to practice good internal thoughts. It's cliche, but this life is cliche. It's just little things, little, like little moments in the day when I would do one thing and I'd be like, Nope, I'm catching myself. We're, we're going the opposite end here. You know, honestly, I think that's, that's the biggest thing someone can do to sort of change the direction of their life is mm -hmm. to notice what that internal dialogue is and stop it and think a different thought. Because I think people give themselves an out um, of being controlled by their emotions constantly. I know, I mean, I speak from experience. Okay. Um, yeah. you know, and realizing that you do have control over your emotions. You do have control over the thoughts you think. 
Tupin Talks is also brought to you by the Kentucky Botanical Company. The Kentucky Botanical Company is an education-focused distributor of high-quality Kentucky-grown CBD products and was started on the foundation of helping people. With a commitment to natural, plant-based wellness, they keep their products as close to the plant as possible by avoiding unnecessary flavors or fillers. From tinctures to highly concentrated topicals, clients find relief from their anxiety, pain, stomach issues, depression, inflammation, and more. Sustainability is another focus of the Kentucky Botanical Company. As a natural progression in holistic wellness, they also offer zero-waste products and a full refillery in their retail locations. You can find them in Bellevue, Florence, and Covington, Kentucky, as well as at www.kybotanicalco.com or on social media at kybotanicalco. You can also go online and order and use the code TUPINTALKS for 10% off your order. I have moved probably 15 or 20 times in my life, and I know that whenever you're moving, no matter what the situation or circumstance, it's always stressful. And that's why I'm so glad I found From Here to There. From Here to There is a moving and logistics company located in Lexington, Kentucky, proudly serving the lower 48. And they are a premium in logistics, moving, and white glove delivery, with an emphasis on integrity, quality, and efficiency. They bring ease to what could be a stressful situation. So from local item delivery to a rearrange to a long distance move, from here to there is there for you. So just dial 859-893-2602 or visit from here to there ky.com. And if you mention this podcast, you get 10% off your next move. I know um, I was, I went through a breakup a couple of years ago and every morning, like, I don't know why I was even so sad about this guy, but I was so sad. For like months mm. and like would wake up and be like have this dark cloud over me and was depressed and i i got so tired of feeling like this that i decided every and the thoughts would roll in first thing in the morning you know like right when i'd open my eyes the thoughts would be there and i caught myself and i realized that this was happening to me and i was like okay i'm gonna replace those thoughts with things that make me actually smile or laugh before I get out of bed in the morning. And within like two days, I was over the guy. It was the craziest. <laughs> Isn't it, it magical? Crazy. It was magical. <laughs> it was really magical. I think, um, and I, I like as an artist, I mean, did you go through the phase too where there was something cool about, you know, the partying or cool about the darkness or like there was some phase that I went through that that was attractive. Did you have that? Yes. I, I think that was the catapult for all of it too. It was like admiring Janis Joplin, Towns Van Zandt, the reckless mm -hmm. behavior that they, you know, kind of put up on a shelf and you're like, Oh, I want to, I want to see if I can reach up there and do the same thing. I think it definitely, I'm glad you said that. Cause I really do think that's a result of a lot of, um, you know, just heroes idolizing things, just like we are in other aspects and ways. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I think it's just a matter of being, you know, now you're in a position where people are idolizing you. I mean, and so you have to, you have to take on that responsibility too. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not sure if that has even occurred to you that like, you know, that you can influence people in that way. Now, I, I, I think about that quite a bit. And um, I had someone reach out to me recently and were like, you know, I'm really glad that I have you as a role model. I hear that after being sober and being like open about it a lot. 
And it's sort of like this whole new level of pressure. Of like, I hope I don't fuck up. <laughs> Should I have told anybody this? Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. I have, um, I mean, anybody that's sober has had like relapse dreams where like I have dreams where I've drank or whatever. And in the dreams, you're always like, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to mm. tell anybody. <laughs> Just going to hide it. Know um, that feeling all too well. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, um, well, anyways, I'm really excited about your, your new album and, and other people are excited about it too, because it looks like you have, you did a debut at ACL Fest this year. You also opened for Marcus King, Paul Cawthon. You've, you've had a big year. Um, what was all that like? Oh my gosh. I feel, you know, for anybody that was in the creative scene, um, it was, it was like, so more so unknown than we were even familiar with. It's like what we do is the unknown, but it was to add what the pandemic did and what it looked like to that was, it was a lot. Um, but to answer your question, coming out of that, to be able to open for Flatland Calvary, Jason Boland, Paul, Marcus, all those guys, Kendall Marvel, it was just like, you know what? This has been the best year that I've had, you know? Um, it was just fun and and to play if i could hang my hat ever it would be on um if, if i the studio aspect of things is not my my strong suit if i could play shows for the rest of my days then i'd be a happy camper really but, yeah do you like do you like touring in general the lifestyle of touring love it i say that now uh but when it gets a little heftier i'll be like i'd rather go in the studio <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to, I remember when I first started touring, I was like 20, 21. And I was like, I'll do this for the rest of my life. Like I'll never, ever go back to having real life. And then six years later, it was just a so burnout. And so, so it, mm. it, it's these extremes that we, that we're so drawn to though. I think as musicians, it does help fuel yeah, the whole thing, something about it. But I, um, but yeah, I, I envy, I envy your excitement for touring. My spark <laughs> for it still. I know. I think it's just, I mean, every, everybody to each their own. It's a day-to-day -day process. It's like waking up uh, and getting to sound check when you're on your own, driving the car by yourself, setting it all up, playing the show, tearing it down, driving to the next place. I mean, it's, it's a lot and it's not normal. I, I love sleeping in my own bed. I love being with my husband. I love sleeping beside my dog. So I just feel like I'd never want to take for granted now more than ever what that feels like. And I think that's why I'm so, I still have that, the charm for what touring looks like now more yeah. than ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and there's a great amount of purpose in touring, you know, when you're kind of sitting at home, it's okay. Sitting at Sorry. home, um, you're good. <laughs> sitting at home writing songs and, and not getting to see the impact of those songs or not feeling like you're actually connecting with people when you are, but it's just not as visible. Um, there's something, there's something really amazing about that experience of, of playing for people. And, um, did you play around, did you do like the, the, like playing around Nashville thing for, for a while or before you were touring? Oh yeah, definitely. That was kind of how I, I feel like I, um, shook hands and and kissed the foreheads of whoever was in at the basement and whatever venue we were at but yeah definitely it all kind of stems from from here do you tour with a full band or by yourself by myself 
for now. Do you take a tour manager? No, you're looking at it. <laughs> looking at oh she. <laughs> you're so Her. brave. You're so brave. Oh, oh just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you be careful, man. Be careful. I, babe. I, I know. <laughs> it's, it's no it's joke. It's wild. I've seen yeah. some things. I'm sure you have yeah. too. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, um, yeah. And I always tell, I always tell if I have played shows by myself, I always tell the band that I'm playing with that I am by myself just so they know. Mm -hmm. Hey, the TM, I'm like, somebody's walking me out of here tonight. I don't, I don't care who it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't, you can't be too cautious. So you also, um, have a, an awesome fashion sense. I love your style. I love the branding of your, of your, all your photos. Where does this come from? Oh my gosh, this is, this is really me. I feel like had I had the resources growing up, I probably would have gone to some form of like fashion school. I love, I've always been so um, expressive in that way. I feel like uh, there's photos of me as a kid where my mom would braid my hair and uh, like just a magnitude of braids and people would be like, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? Like just owned it. Um, clothing is, clothing is just a passion, you know, and, um, I have 10% battery, dear Lord. Um, <laughs> clothing to me, it, it's like the one way that I, without speaking can just give, give you what I'm actually thinking or what I'm feeling. And, um, for me, it was just, my mom always reminded me of princess Diane and she always looked put together growing up. So in my granny, it was, it was just always a thing. I loved getting ready with those ladies and it has trickled over into my everyday life for sure. They were fancy. That's fun. Very fancy. <laughs> <laughs> and little old Sandy Hook too, <laughs> to beat it all. Well, uh, I read somewhere that you, you, you like to shop at Goodwill. Is that true? That's, that is my spot. I am. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, you're not out any money. And, um, if you take your time, you can really find some, some golden little treasures, if you will. I think especially in like in Kentucky and in more rural places, the Goodwills are pretty stacked full of good stuff. Um, they are. I lived in, they are like, so I lived in LA for a couple of years. And so I used to do the Goodwill thing all the time. And when I would go to the Goodwill in LA, it was just so picked over. Like everybody was onto it, you know, the Goodwill thing. But if you go to the Goodwill that's in a small town in Kentucky, you're going to find some good stuff. You really are. <laughs> that's a valid point. <laughs> it's not picked over, right? <laughs> um, not as many hipsters, if you will. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I guess. Were you like a hipster in your town? Is that like a thing? No, I, I definitely was more like the emo goth oh. cheerleader gal oh if that like, makes any wait, sense it doesn't so like were you dyeing your hair <laughs> black and also cheerleading it was like the, when the christian aguilera like you did the really dark like your color underneath uh -huh. and then you do like uh -huh. chunks and then black uh -huh. for your nose gloves the whole nine yards paramore gloves. love town mouth and college yeah yeah really you love town mouth in college heck really? yeah Kentucky cool. strong, raise your roof. <laughs> oh, wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, wow, now I'm like blushing. Um, Go ahead, feel it. <laughs> I also read, so I read, so I like stalked you today. That was like my mission. I was like, I'm going to learn as much about this girl as I can because she's fascinating to me. Um, that you are a big Dixie Chicks fan. I was a yeah. big Dixie Chicks fan. 
I love the Dixie Chicks. And I hear that in your songwriting. Do you, are you conscious of this now? You know, not conscious of it, but I'm not surprised. I feel like, or conscientious of it, but I'm not surprised only because I feel like at such an influential time, that's all we heard was with my mommy, like riding in her little black Bonneville. It was the Bee Gees. We had two cassette tapes or maybe three. There was like a George Strait in there, but it was the Bee Gees, Dixie Chicks, Wide Open Spaces. And we would just switch those back to the humming situation. I would just stare at the window and try and sound or mimic Natalie as much as I could. Uh-huh. Well, did you, so, so the style of your voice though, even back in those recordings in 2015, I don't think the style of your singing has changed that much. You have a really unique style of singing. Where does that come from? Or is that something that happened prior to those recordings? I don't really Was know, it? babe. I feel like for me, man, I'm butchering this. Um, okay. For me, I think it's like to touch base on the idea of like, just as, uh, as I grow as a person I think my voice is grown with me if that's um formidable to say I think it's also just like now not being so, feeling so confined to fit in a box it's like for years I felt like I was like either do I want to be pop or am I too country do I talk to where people think I'm not intellectual because I have a, a weird dialect or you ask yourself all these things uh, but now I just feel like I'm not trying to not trying to win any battle. It's like what you see is what you get. And I, I mean, at least I try to live that way. It's like um, how I am behind closed doors is how I always want to be in at face value. Yeah. With my voice I, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I sense that from you and I feel the same way. You know, I feel like the, especially, you know, you're, we're the same age too. I think you get to your thirties okay. and you're like, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop trying to be anything for any, like, anybody else. And I've said that I was yep. doing that in my twenties, but like, I'm actually doing that now, you know? Yes, absolutely. It's, I think it's just like a, a flip of a switch and yeah. you start to just own, you know, your inner, your inner truth, inner yeah. truth. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> All of our, 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 uh, what are those words called? Like keywords, like organic, inner truth, empower, trauma, trauma, <laughs> triggered. <laughs> Damn yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever. Um, yeah, no, I feel that, man. So I I I was always kind of because I have a twang in my voice, but like so like my dad is Canadian, but my mom is from London, Kentucky. So like there's this like very I don't know what my culture is, you know, and I was much closer with my dad's French Canadian side than my mom. Um, but I have this I can have a really thick twang in my voice um all the time my mom's twang in her voice from living in southeastern kentucky um, she moved to southern indiana when she was a school teacher and the kids made fun of her accent so much that she taught herself to not speak with an accent so her mm. accent will come and go depending on who she's speaking to and she's like not even conscious of it and then i do that so like i have like i don't know what my culture is but people i think when they hear me sing they're like you should make a country album or you should make this but i'm not really that connected with that culture i've i didn't uh, beyond the dixie chicks that's kind of as far as i got um so i couldn't <laughs> really make that music authentically here's another word authentically i couldn't uh. make that music <laughs> so I totally hear what you're saying. At a certain point, you're just like, I have to make this kind of music. I have to make the music I'm making because I couldn't authentically make any other type of music. Yeah. 
that I mean, you're speaking, you're speaking um, for me right now. I think it's like when we can just let go of what idea we have for ourselves, that's when the true magic happens. And it's like fi also finding people who allow you to be comfortable enough to do that. That's half the battle as well. Okay, also so you... So you have collaborated, you do collaborate, and you did collaborate on your album. Uh, do you enjoy the, the co-writing, the Nashville co-writing scene? You know, I, I do. I think it's, um, again, just like if I were being paid to do it, it would, it would make me much more eager to do so. But um, I don't know, co-writing for me feels very foreign. So it's like, uh, I just haven't done enough of it uh, to really yearn for it, um, on a regular basis tap deal. Do you have specific people that you do like collaborating with? Yeah. And I think that's why I haven't really kind of stepped into that world as so much. Um, cause I have found like a core group of folks and that's, that's something that I've, I've cherished along the way. Um, a fellow by the name of Jordan Lawhead, he has been, he's been like a, a shining light, uh, in all of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's when you find those collaborators, when you find that person that it like works with, and then you go and try to sit with somebody where it's like, you know, like square peg, round hole, like it just mis is a miserable experience. And I'd say like most of the like random, like, hey, let's co-write things, they always kind of feel a little forced and weird. But when you find that person, it's like, oh, I'm never going to go. I'm never going to cheat on you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true it's like i found my person my, my soul my soulmate here in the co-writing world but yes definitely and when it, when it works when the co-writing thing does work it does feel a little bit like that like a soul thing like it's it's hard to explain why it's like you complete each other's brains right mm. do you write or just they go ahead i'm so sorry no 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 go ahead well, I just think there's certain folks who like hear you say or hear inflection in, in sentences or the emphasis on certain words. They're like, oh, I, I think I'll pull and write that down real quick or add to that. And that's that's the the true like uh, grease fire, if you will. Yeah, I've really I've really struggled with it myself, too. I mean, when I left Houndmouth, everybody said, well, you got to find a producer. You got to find a producer. You know, you should do all this co-writing and stuff. And it really, for me, was a long process of finding myself, you know, really first. Mm -hmm. uh, like you were saying, it's like, how could I possibly collaborate with somebody when I don't know who I am? Uh, mm -hmm. so that's, I think a huge part that people try to miss, you know, they're trying to look for a lot of younger artists. I think it's tempting to go try to find somebody to latch on to, but you can't, that's not gonna be beneficial for anybody until you find yourself. I don't think. Deb, I mean, definitely in everyday life. And if, if this is the career path that you, you want to pursue, it's like, you can't just be out here. There's too many people out there that are good for you to just be, you know, throwing stuff at the wall, which I mean, you have to, but like, it's better to do the inner work first and then kind of navigate your own path and uh, free for all it. Like, I feel like I kind of have in some ways, but uh, there's no real rhyme or reason for any of it. I don't think there's an actual format, like definitely money speaks, but, um, I don't think I, I just don't feel like I've ever I've ever been in it for the money. Now, give me some money. Well, I may talk a different talk, but 
right now. <laughs> That's what I've got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel you, man. Like money, money's good. Um, I, uh, I, I, I really enjoyed chatting with you. I mean, it's. I think, I think there's. Um, especially for women in music, because we are so outnumbered in, in music. Uh, there's a tendency, I think, for a lot of front women, especially to be very competitive. I've, I've seen that. Um, and it's so refreshing to find women that are like, oh, no, like we, we can be bros. Like, it's cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yes. Yeah. I have a theory. I have a theory about it. I feel like if you have the desire to be a front woman, you're kind of alpha you're kind of an alpha female right in some ways mm -hmm. and so that's where that competitive nature i think stems from do you think i'm on to something i think you definitely are on to something and uh I, I think also jealousy is is fear so in my opinion i feel like jealousy is fear and it's fear of being out seen out done this that and the other so that's why you stay with what you're familiar with and um well we do it we're all human beings at the end of the day nobody's spared in that regard um some folks act like they got it i think figured out more than others or maybe some folks do i don't know i can't be the one to decide that but i at the end of the day um i'm going to throw another one of those um millennial comments out there there's room for everybody and and as long as there's breath in your lungs don't let anybody discourage what it what you feel on the inside. And I think that'll always shine through no matter what. Oh my God. It's so crazy that you just said that because right before this call, I was reading, have you ever read the seven habits of highly effective people? Have you ever read that? Oh, well, it's, it no. talks about, you, you might like it if you like all this kind of self-help kind of stuff. I, I love it. Like it's all I read. Um, Me too. But it was talking about the scarcity mindset and how so many people operate on this scarcity mindset of, um, if they have something, then there's not enough for me, you know, and that mm. really life isn't like that. Like this, it's, it's a min looking for mutually beneficial situations, win-win situations is where the true joy of life really does come from. It's not these win-lose situations. And you literally just described that. So that was kind of, kind of weird, like hashtag hey. synchronous. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. Did you do you feel like you have always kind of had that had that awareness of operating in a in a more win win mentality, or or was that something that developed over time and hit at twenty eight? I think it's just it's it's an ebb and flow. Nobody can be solid all the time again it's like if we were if we all could sit down as a as a community and realize we're human beings at the end of the day sent here involuntarily to this sphere uh it's like if you break it down like that why is anybody competing with themselves number one or with anybody else it's like just be thankful for the idea or there's a bunch of studies out there as well that are uh if you write down four things that you're grateful for within a 21 day period of time this is proven um you will see a, a shift in in the way that you your everyday thinking may have been 21 days prior to that and that's that's just common knowledge but i think for me it's like yes i've been guilty of being jealous because i have fear inside of me yes i wish i i coveted things that others have had i've i've been guilty of all of it because 
I want the same things as the other folks in this field do as well. So it's um, it's just an everyday it's an everyday process. How, however, my feet hit the ground, that's up to me. But um, um, mm-hmm. in due time, I think we all can at least, you know, extend a hand and again tap each other on the booty to, to help us go. <laughs> A little quicker anyway. I'll I'll be the first to pat your booty all the way to the top. (laughs) (laughs) You have my permission. (laughs) Okay, good, good. Well, um, well, yeah, thank you so much for joining my podcast, Tupin Talks. And if you guys are watching this uh, episode on the live premiere, be sure to comment or share the live stream and you're entered into drawings automatically to win some awesome stuff from our sponsors, Topo Chico, as well as the Kentucky Botanical Company and from here to there. So Leah, thank you so much. And we will hang out. We will hang out when I'm in Nashville. Please let me know when you're here. We'll have a good time. Much love to you, lady. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll have you back. All right. See you later. Okay. Sounds good. Much love. Bye. Navigating the ever-changing music industry can be challenging and at times lonely and confusing. My name is Katie Tupin. I'm a platinum awarded singer-songwriter. I've done so much in music from book my own shows at coffee shops to touring the world. And I believe it's one thing to take steps forward in your career and it's another to take informed steps forward. So I decided to put together Camp Katie. Camp Katie is a resource and online community for artists. They can chat directly with me on Zoom calls, hear from credible guest speakers in the industry, as well as have daily support and motivation for myself and peers. So join me on Camp Katie. Let's do this together visit patreon.com backslash katie tupin